The three biggest reasons only 10% of students study abroad. They're afraid of being homesick, they don't think it's safe, and the number one reason people don't study abroad is cost. We're here to dispel all that, find out exactly how that 10% crafted their study abroad journey, and how you can too. I'm Chris Carlton, and this is the Study Abroadcast. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Study Abroadcast. I've got Christian Tanja today from the Schwarzman Scholars, which is a pretty prestigious award if you, if you receive it, and he's going to tell us all about it. Um, we're really lucky to have him here. Christian, thank you very much for being here. How are you doing today? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Chris. Uh, I'm delighted to, to share a little bit more insight into the program, and, and you know, it's something that has um, has kind of been birthed out of a lot of different converging needs in the world and and how we look at the 21st century uh, landscape and and what kind of leaders that we need to show up for these kinds of things. So I'm really excited to share uh, the uh, spirit of uh, Shoresman Scholars uh, with your audience. So thanks again for having me. No, 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 definitely. So to, to that point too, talking about the birth of kind of international education and study abroad, can you talk about the birth of Shoresman and how did that yeah. get started? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so we're, we're a brand new uh, fellowship program. So we call ourselves a global leadership program that's anchored to a fully funded master's degree based in Beijing, China. Uh, so our founder, Stephen Schwarzman, uh, he's the chairman, CEO, and co-founder of the global investment firm known as Blackstone. Uh, and with his engagement with China, with his uh, within his connections and, and learning more about how the world was changing, he recognized that there was a, a knowledge, skills, and network gap uh, with bridging with China specifically and the rest of the world. And so he founded this to be able to um, essentially inform and educate uh, different young leaders across different industries to work and collaborate together uh, so that in the 21st century where China is a major player across m all industries uh, that we then create a, 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 a network of, of people who will through the shared experience of being a student at Tsinghua University uh, will be able to connect across different nations, across different sectors, even different age groups. Um, and I think that's one of the cool things about um, how we were able to come to be. So it's a brand new program where we've only had, uh, we, we have our third cohort in program right now, um, but we are looking to the future about how can we add an influx of talent uh, that is very multicultural, very uh, different and um, you know divergent from each other such that they can work and collaborate together to solve some global crises that will inevitably happen in in our future. So I think that that's kind of the nutshell behind the, the mission of this program. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. So guys, Stephen Schwarzman is a he's a pretty big deal. You can Google him. I'm not going to get into it, but from his, it just sounds like from his experiences in business. I guess he he saw like a void that needed to be filled, and now now you guys are filling it. Is what it sounds like. So that yeah, that's awesome. It's mm -hmm. pretty exciting. So if, if I was a student, right, and I look at this and I think, well, how, sign me up. Like, how do I do it? How do I apply? Where do I go? What do I do? Sure. So I think uh, our first line of defense is our website. So you can go to www.shoresmanscholars.org. So you can get a landscape of the program description as well as um, some examples of some of the scholars that are there uh, in the program. But then also 
uh, get a, a sense mm -hmm. of what the application process would look like. Uh, it's not a huge departure from other graduate level programs, um, but I will spend some time to talk about some of the unique things of what, what we're looking for. So you'll see there are two pieces, uh, two samples of writing that you'll have to submit, letters of recommendation, your transcripts, an application form. Uh, we do have an optional video. Um, a resume. Uh, so you can see all the details of that on our website. We will launch the global process um, around mid-April, and it'll be due at the end of September. And for those who are from greater China, we also have another process that runs from January to May. Uh, and so those are folks who have passports from um, from uh, mainland China, Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. Uh, so we have, and I think it'll be helpful to talk about the um, the eligibility requirements. So they're pretty broad. Uh, you have to be between the ages of 18 to 28. Uh, you can be of any citizenship, and you must have English language fluency. So as you can see already, that, that's pretty wide in terms of the, the scope of what we're looking for. Uh, but in specifics, uh, those application components then allow us to get a sense of uh, a particular student's uh, contributions and their potential that then will be anchored to what things that they've done and, and their track record of showing that they're really effective leaders in their chosen field of interest. So it's not major specific, but in, in summary, the things that we look for and highlight in the selection process are leadership and examples of how you push towards um, positive results uh, and have worked with disagreement and have uh, been able to drive a vision uh, we look for intellect, which we define as academic curiosity and being able to borrow from different people's perspectives and also being able to apply that knowledge to real world, real world situations, as well as character. So are you values driven in the way that you uh, make decisions? Uh, what are the mental models that inform those decisions? Can you work with disagreement? Can you work with a lot of uh, ambiguity? And so these are things that we uh, look for through the essays, letters of rec, and your application form to really get a sense of what is your leadership narrative. Um, so I think it's, and, and just to, to make sure that I put a stamp on this, that we don't require GRE, and we're not asking for a standard GPA, because uh, our measure of leadership aren't captured by those metrics. But it's really looking at, how did I identify a problem be an architect of a solution of that problem, and then also make sure that it had processes in place to make sure that's sustainable. So we really spend a lot of time thinking about what is the student doing to transform the communities, the sector, the businesses, the um, you know the places, the spaces that they come from, and, and really kind of anchor it down to that. So uh, you can have a, a perfect GPA, but unless you have that track record, then we will be uh, thinking about who are the stellar candidates that show their vision is going to become true because they're already working on that today. Right. I, I mean, yeah. So it's like if, okay, so if you're an engineering major, what kind of noise are you making in the field of engineering within your community? Like, what are you doing to separate yourself? What, you know, what's different, right? Yeah. And, and, and so what I will say to that is that it's about um, defining your version of leadership and then later defying that version of leadership by being able to show what are the several ways to which you um, uh, have made those instrumental changes? And we know some places are very uh, rigid in what are those qualifications, like you have to have you know, X degree or you have to have X amount of experience. But we're not trying to replace those traditional tracks, but recognize where are the young leaders who recognize that they have to collaborate 
with different streams and different verticals to be able to reach some of those changes. So for example, when engaging with um, you know, environment, for example, we have lots of scientists who say, here's the data. But in order to change public opinion, you need the artists, the creatives, the politicians, the policy writers to be able to work together to make that data become absorbable for other people and be able to speak to their heartstrings and be able to implement positive change. So we see that leadership is going to take uh, a much more network drive um, uh, to be effective in this 21st century, especially given what technological advancements we've experienced in the last uh, few decades. Uh, that it's about how do you collaborate and play well with others? Because conceivably in the future, 50 years from now, we have 10,000 alumni that Shores and Scholars will be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, I, I, I'm working on this world problem here. I need a coder or I need someone in the network who has this knowledge. And that that is going to be what is the glue behind making these solutions get carried out. So we're really excited to think, you know, later on down the line, we'll have an alum who is uh, the president of Country X or the CEO of Company Y. And it's really exciting to already start to see some of those inroads with our current class. We just sent our first student, uh, Shores and Scholar to Davos, to the World Economic Forum. So we're starting to you know, get some inroads with different networks and different opportunities. But I think it's really about uh, a network that is distilled and focused. And again, it's that, sh it's that commitment to that shared mission to be a bridge between China and the rest of the world that's really going to be the, the, the glue that keeps this entire network together. Yeah. So you mentioned exciting. <clears throat> you sound excited talking about it. it, it <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Like how, how could you not be? Let me let me ask you, is there a certain number of recipients every year or is it does it vary? Does it depend on how strong the application pool is or is it? Yeah. Set? So, yeah, yeah. Thanks for those questions. Um, and sorry to jump in. To cut you off there. No, just, no. You're, you're right. You're right to call it my excitement because uh, this is a program that, through my own lived experience of recognizing what China has done in the education landscape, uh, I just get really excited to to speak about this. Um, and again, thanks for having us on the show to share out, um, you know, our program. In terms of the spots that we're looking to fill, so because we're a new program, um, our target is roughly around 140 uh, scholars every single uh, for each year. Though conceptually, we had the ambition of going. Uh, of growing the class, but I think in the next coming years, we're trying to think about um, how can we better design and tweak and, and, you know, we have a lot of different processes in place, but what can we do to better the, the process of intake, but also the process of the, uh, the scholars in program right now, and then also the alumni. And so as you can imagine, as a startup, uh, we're at constantly evaluating at those different stages. We're constantly empowering both the student participants as well as the staff and, and, and our campus partners and stakeholders to continually feed, uh, provide feedback rather uh, to our process so that we're able to uh, make it better. And so because of that, we do have a, a pretty competitive process. Um, we, are, we have over 3,000 applicants from last year, and we select uh, roughly around 140 scholars. So uh, it, it is a selective opportunity, but as you can imagine, um, it, it being a fully funded program and connecting you to these different world leaders and, and a program that delivers all and exposes you to a lot of different angles of China, uh, the value add is, is, is incredibly significant. And so we, we, we do put it down to that 140 because we think that's the number where you know we, we want to make sure that they are getting quality engagement, 
Um, and so we're experimenting. So uh, our goal is to grow the program in future years. But for now, uh, we are stabilizing. We are making the appropriate tweaks to uh, the delivery of the program. And then as we start to collect more data, like, for example, my colleagues in uh, alumni development, uh, I get to now play with actual alumni. In our first years, we didn't have anyone. But now we can use them uh, in, in, in telling the stories and also carrying out the mission. So we at the foundation have a lot of great opportunities where we're engaging with really fulfilling work and and um, being able to solve to some of the challenges that we see yeah. in the headlines now, which I think is part of why I really enjoy this. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned fully funded, right? So what does that mean specifically, like just for the entire semester? Like how long are the trips usually? Mm -hmm. uh, can they go for a summer? Mm -hmm. in, in, can you maybe get into that a little? Sure, sure. So the reason why Stephen Schwarzman um, and over 100 uh, international donors believe that this is worth putting all that time, energy, and money, of course, that investment, uh, because it, it's beyond just the dollar amount, is because they do recognize that this was a significant need in all their different spaces. So you can go to our website, you can see our board, you can see some details about um, some of the interviewers who are part of, or the faculty and the, and the interviewers who are all part of this whole uh, Schwarzman ecosystem, uh, that they really believe that uh, there should not be barriers to fulfilling this mission. And so we wanted to make sure that uh, it was it was shared to students as a comprehensive scholarship such that we weren't putting a, a natural barrier on the cost of being able to study abroad onto the admissions process. So therefore, we allow such a breadth of talent uh, to be able to access this op opportunity because it's not strictly can you afford a year abroad and we know that there's a lot of need to put behind all that. So as part of the program, um, you know, the, the master, everything that is entailed by the program is fully funded. So travel to and from Beijing, room and board, books and tuition and fees are fully covered by uh, the generosity by our founder as well as uh, these international donors such that you are coming into the program and you're going to be in sponge yeah. mode and learn and process and create these things without worrying whether or not I can afford living overseas. And so we put a lot of resources together for our students to really fully take advantage um, of their experience in China. And again, it, it's both for students who are new to China, but also those who recognize uh, a, a knowledge of and a network of China to be central to their efficacy in their chosen field of interest. And so we really wanted to make sure that that, that wasn't a barrier to the process. So um, in addition to that, we also have a lot of program travel where we do a faculty-led travel seminar. Uh, we also provide uh, a practical training project where a student will have a professional setting where they're able to think and apply what they learn in the classroom to these professional settings. We also uh, provide mentors uh, for our scholars who are able to help them with navigating their careers and expanding their networks. But we've kind of uh, been able to think about what are, what are some of the greatest needs uh, as part of this program if it's going to answer the mission of bridging China with the rest of the world. And so uh, all those different bits and pieces are all part of the tapestry that a student would engage with as in part of the program. And what I haven't yet been able to share more information about is how we are one of 20 English top master's programs at the great Tsinghua University. Uh, for those who are new to the name, Tsinghua is one of, China, is one of China's best universities as well as uh, most renowned across the world. And part of the reason why uh, Stephen Schwarzman had identified it as a um, as the backdrop of the program 
is that he recognized its legacy, over a hundred year legacy of make, building links between China and the rest of the world, as well as tradition of educating the country's top business and government leaders. So Tsinghua sits at that nexus, which is why it became the backdrop of the program. And it's it, before when it was founded, it, it's 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 it had a pivotal role in U.S. and China relations. But now it's it's uh, it's global aperture is much more larger in terms of its uh, international reach. And so, being able to say that you went to the alma mater or the uh, the same university that the current and past presidents of China went to is the kind of leverage to open doors, not only in just Asia Pacific, but around the world where any China constituent is part of. Uh, it's a name that is well recognized and respected and also has that demonstrated track record of producing great leaders across different countries. So the program is particularly for the master's degree in global affairs at Tsinghua University, but our students will come from all over the world. So they will, they will inevitably be um, coming from different sectors, different universities, different countries. And so the, the mission of the program is again to learn about China from, Chinese, from a blend of Chinese academics plus also global factory that come, uh, faculty that come from different countries around the world, but they're essentially synthesizing a better understanding of what are some of the dynamics at play when you're making business or political decisions or, or nonprofit decisions in the way that they manage all those different entities. So, um, so it is specifically for that one program. So you are going to get a master's degree in global affairs from Tsinghua University, but you're learning from students who are from over 120 different universities, for example. And that's one of our, our metrics of uh, success is where the students come from. And we want to see that number grow all the time. And so one thing I do want to emphasize uh, to our listeners is that we're, we're looking for more, uh, more variants within each population. So the more uh, types of leaders that we can get from different institutions, the better. So what you see on the website is what we've had so far, but an important question is what isn't there yet? And what in institutions and universities and sectors haven't been uh, there. And so if you feel like you represent a university or a country or a sector or institution that isn't yet on our website, then that's part of what you're going to carve into your own leadership narrative. And I think should be a right. motivation. Okay. Why. So, so you, you've definitely, so we're all excited now, not just you and not, and not just Shoresman. So <laughs> I think you've sold us and it, it sounds like an opportunity of a lifetime. It sounds exciting. I'd definitely do it if I was still in school and let's just paint a pill. We'll call, I don't know, just a like Christian college, right? Let's say, let's say, let's say there's a kid. <laughs> Okay. and he just got accepted right now now what happens what's the experience like leading up to the departure what is everything that happens what goes on what does he have to do yeah sure sure all right so we're, yeah we're, we're jumping over a lot of oh. time here <laughs> and so I, I i do want to um map out a little bit about the, the way that the timeline works prior to coming to the college um even kind of going a little bit ahead of before the process of getting selected. So the applications for the global process um, are, are, sorry, for the China process are due May 31st. And then the um, the global process is due in September. We have a second phase of uh, admissions, um, which include a in-person interview. And so those interviews happen either in July for the China process or 
late October, early November for the global process. Uh, and again, if you want to know more details about the way that the timeline works and, and a little bit more information on preparing for the selection and interview process, you can visit our website. When you're selected and, and it's shared out with the world on who's selected for that class, that'll be at the beginning of December, you have approximately nine months prior to lead up to when you would move the next subsequent August to the program. And so that's when our um, student life team and our career development team will start to receive the profiles of those who are selected. And you go through a, a rigorous uh, webinar training where you will also uh, learn more about the college, process and procedures, paperwork, um, you know, start submitting your resumes for review. And, and we do a lot of onboarding that's virtual because our students come from over 38 different countries in the next class, uh, that they'll be doing a lot of virtual work to kind of sharpen uh, the tools that they'll need when they start the program that next subsequent August. So our current application process now is for an intake uh, that will start in August of 2020 if you submit by September 26th of this year. And so you would then uh, be able to put all of that stuff into motion before you get out there. Some of our scholars will start to take um, Mandarin study or do some self-Mandarin study. Uh, others will, uh, based on where they are in their professional trajectories, will be wrapping up uh, work positions. Uh, but as you can imagine, our pool of applicants come from very unique backgrounds. So everyone, in essence, will have their own transition journey to, to August. Um, and they essentially get a, a lot of information, but it's also about getting excited and informed about what that year is going to start. Uh, you know, with orientation starting in August, and then they do the full academic okay. calendar from there. And now, you mentioned the brushing up on Mandarin classes. I mean, this is just kind of trying to get by, right? Are there people that go that they're, they studied Mandarin, or they'd maybe been to China as an undergrad? Is How big of part does language play in in the process, if any? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for asking that question because that is a popular question that we get in part of our program. So where I'll start with answering is the 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 concept of the program was really launched to bridge a knowledge, knowledge skills and network gap of those who are new to China. But since our launch, we started to see an influx of students who had uh, exper extensive experience in China or extensive Mandarin study. Now, our position in the admissions process is that we're neutral. So we're neutral on Mandarin fluency. We're neutral on time spent in China. But what a candidate who has those things needs to do is then talk about how those things are uh, tools that are used in your own leadership process. So where are you going to utilize that experience or that language ability to create better inroads to be more effective in your chosen field of interest? So we don't have a lenience towards those who have had that Mandarin ability. Uh, I would say a majority of the class is at beginner or very elementary level Chinese, whereas we do have a nice slice of students who um, have studied Mandarin for an extensive amount of time and then therefore are able to engage in the program in different ways that are uh, coupled to their own experience. So then they can have an internship or a mentor who is fluent in Mandarin and be able to benefit in that different level. So it's not that we have a, 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 um, a preference for those students, but it is on the whole uh, meant to cater towards people who knew, uh, who are new to China and then have more um, 
uh, can make a case as to why the China experience would be uh, central to their own success in their chosen field of interest. So uh, that's all to say that you have to make the uh, application process speak to your own individual needs and speak to your own individual strengths. And I think once you start getting away from trying to compare the profiles that you see or what you feel is attributed to value in the process, is just think about from it from your own, reverse engineer that narrative from your own perspective. Where do I see myself contributing the value? Where do I see a knowledge of China going to help elevate my efficacy or my uh, my impact in whatever that world is uh, that I am a part of? Uh, but make it a very personal thing. Make it a personal journey. So, um, so if, if China Mandarin study is part of that already, great. But if not, you can be like a number of our other scholars who knew nothing about China prior to coming to the program, but they knew because of their areas of engineering or environment or policy um, that they needed to know more about China to be more effective in right. their future okay. role. And so, yeah, you mentioned that, that that's a common question. Are there any common doubts among these Schwarzman scholars, I mean, maybe the pressure's mounting, people that have never been out of the country. What do you what do you see in that department? Yeah, I would say that, uh, and I can, I'll start off from the uh, from the admissions process because, I mean, there's a whole slew of doubts that happen when you're actually in China and maybe you won't be speaking the language, you know, how, how it feels like, oh no, what am I doing? Uh, but I will say as, a, as an applicant, some of those doubts stem off of, um, some of those doubts stem off of I I don't see myself in the program. So what I would say to that is like again I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but um, we are looking for leaders across different fields. Uh, Shoresman, of course, he he's a he's a name that is established in finance and, and in the cult consulting spaces um, that a lot of people recognize that who are kind of in that biz economics um, sector and and they are familiar with the name. But we're also looking for leaders who are in nonprofit community spaces or who are in the arts and humanities, for example. So I think someone, uh, an applicant does need to set some time aside to think about what is what is the rationale into bringing my expertise and my experience to uh, to China uh, and, and being able to, what could I bring from China to those spaces again to be able to make significant change. And so the doubts are whether or not someone belongs in that. And I think it's such an environment that yes, everybody does belong. So whatever skills and gifts and experiences that you have, as long as it's in line with this idea that you need China to be more effective at what you knew at what you do. If you see a vision where um, I can really navigate ambiguous uh, spaces, like there'll be a lot of cultural ambiguity, there'll be a lot of sector ambiguity, and that you feel effective at being able to uh, ask questions and to to drive those results, uh, then I think this is a space for you. And then more importantly, if you see yourself in four, five, six careers from now. Being in a role where your decision making affects a lot of people, sometimes in different countries, then this is the place where you can learn more about those skills by engaging and learning about China through your own lens, but also offering that up to other people uh, who you'll be seeing China from their particular uh, lenses. And I think that constant exchange and swirling of of disrupting your set of assumptions on a daily basis is the gifts that people walk out of. And I think when people take away uh, the two most important things from this program, it's the network of people that they're able to meet. Again, high accomplished people across different uh, places, but then also just having access to a different way of thinking, knowing, and believing. And I think that uh, working alongside 
you know, you're in class sitting between one of your scholar mates who's from Uganda versus another scholar mate who's from Ukraine, and you watch them um, be able to discuss and debate some of the topics in class, and then you all then synthesize uh, a solution that would be universally uh, adaptable to all those different perspectives. And I think that's part of the magic of what is there. So I think when people look at our website, they, they, they might think of a particular profile, but that's really the doubt that you need to evict from your own mind. Because if you do recognize that that mission is important to you and you're able to make a compelling case, then definitely yeah. apply. Now, I, I think you, you nailed it when you, the train of thought is that with the diverse backgrounds and not not background, not just backgrounds, but areas of of study that these people are having. They're looking to learn just as much from you as you are from them. So you have to kind of think to yourself, like I'm bringing something to the table too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And then one thing that I'll also add onto that um, this this concept of doubts in the admissions process is um, being able to to kind of think about. W- how the different identities of where I'm coming from uh, really contribute to that decision making. Like where you grew up, where you went to school, what you're studying, and where you go, these are all different ingredients that contribute to uh, to, to the marinade that you sit in, right? And so that they're, they're really adding uh, depth and breadth to the way that you process the world, but those are the things that um, you want to be able to fearlessly carry with you into this type of program. So the idea of where you can make change if it's not enough to be able to say, be able to have the ambition to want to change things, like we need to see uh, what that leadership looks like in your space, and you can define leadership as having, uh, you know, having increased uh, revenues for your company, or it could be the number of families that you engage with. It could be the number of pages that you write uh, for uh, your novel or or for a particular work that you're passionate about. Um, so again, the idea is that you don't want to use other structures of success if it's outside of your scope. Really focus and double down on where is your success in what you do. I mean, obviously, you'll have letters of rec to help support that. You'll also have a a transcript to support that. Um, And then where are you able to drive solutions in what what, what, in what's uh, a mission or something that's really, really important to you. So we want to make sure that you, you, know, you think about global affairs and you think about how I, as an economist, can help an engineer look at their problem set in a different way or how that poet is going to add more um, optimism and vibrancy to that physicist when they're working on their uh, particular policy that they're trying to, um, to enact. So we think that this cross-sector, cross-collaboration is what's going to help move the work forward when you need to think about how to globally collaborate around some of these really yeah. complex issues. Yeah, okay, sure. And so so now we're there. We get on the flight. We get on the plane, and we've arrived. We're in China. And where do we go? Like, where do we live? What's What are the classes like? Can you tell me? Can, give me a day in the life there? <clears throat> sure. So we, we are very fortunate in that um, – uh, at the onset of the program, we were able to welcome the first class to a 435 square foot building that is Shoresman College. And so you can go to the website to see some images of this amazing legal certified building that is a residential college. It was inspired by the models that many uh, institutions worldwide, where the students not only 
learn there, but they also live in buildings. So you can, um, as part of being a Schwarzen Scholar, you get your own room with a private bathroom. Uh, but then you're also, and, and the, the residence halls are kind of above uh, the main heart of campus, but um, the, the, the heart of the building itself has a library, has a, a large lecture hall, classroom spaces, study spaces, uh, a campus gym and all these amenities to again give those resources to the students to really delve into the content and the substance of what they're working on. Uh, and so that's where you'll be living in the northwest quadrant of Tsinghua University in Schwarzman College. Uh, and I do encourage you, there's there's an online tour on our website that you can check out to kind of see uh, and poke around some of the corners and uh, and get a sense of what it's like. Uh, even the, the canteen, the campus gym, and uh, the campus pub are real favorite places of where scholars like to hang out. Uh, and it's that moving from the classroom to the gym to the pub to the uh, library where these conversations keep happening. and you keep walking in the shoes of others and you keep learning even though you're not sitting in a classroom. So that's kind of like the environment that you're a part of is that there's always a lot of people who are in and around um, and around like these really things that they're really passionate about and you can really kind of uh, then walk away believing that you can also elevate your own uh, things that you're interested in. Uh, now as far as the architecture of the graduate level program, um, all the scholars uh, will take uh, a core curriculum that's anchored to three different, uh, you can say, academic pillars. So we have a, a China class where you learn about the history of China and, and what are some uh, modern takes of, of understanding how did China get to where we are today. Uh, then there is a global affairs class where we look at the future and, and what is China's role in engaging with different sectors and, and what is up on the horizon um, to how China's role in global affairs is going to be vastly different from its own history. Uh, and then there's also a leadership course that we uh, present our students where they are going to be able to understand how do they function as individuals but within teams. They're going to learn from the stories of various leaders who come through the college. So we, uh, in the last year, I've had John Kerry, Madeleine Albright, Larry Summers. Uh, in the past, Christine Lagarde, Alex Gorski of Johnson Johnson. So uh, we had really illustrious leaders with with really, um, uh, you know, with with successful careers who then are able to speak to some of the challenges that they've been able to do. We also have international leaders who come from the per former president of Peru and Bosnia and Bulgaria stopped by. Uh, we also had different delegations from Latin America uh, be able to come in and, and get a sense of what does international collaboration look like, which is really fantastic uh, for students to really get that upfront um, uh, Kind of professional uh, narrative, but then also after you know a really fantastic lecture, can go into the dining hall or the pub to have a more casual conversation to think about what is that personal inspiration that really drives their decision making and 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 a little bit of the the human side that <laughs> I, I'd like to think uh, in those leadership decisions. So um, so they'll be doing that throughout the year those three uh, those three courses, but then they'll also be adding these elective courses. They'll ask the question of what do I want to learn more about? What's going to make me a better doctor or a better engineer or a better politician and they'll start to take a breadth of classes our course listing is available on our website including the faculty who are teaching that and uh and the, and essentially there there's a sense of you of the onus being on the student to self-design a curriculum and experience that's really going to fine-tune uh, their own chapter in China, and it'll all cum culminate into a capstone project that they get to choose a topic of choice, and it'll be in the lines of their professional or academic growth. Uh, they can take it in three different flavors, whether it be a traditional academic thesis, 
or a policy analysis or a case study analysis. So depending on where they are in their professional trajectories, they will essentially produce a uh, some work that will be uh, elevating their own perspective and also kind of demonstrate that they were able to do this master's program. So that in totality, the master's degree is about 60% in classroom and then 40% um, out of the classroom, which includes the things that I talked about earlier, like the faculty-led travel seminar, the internship, the mentorship, um, and, and orientation, and a bunch of bits and bobs like that. Um, on top of all that, as being institutionally organized, there's also the amazing ability to participate as a student. And, and what I've heard from some of the scholars is that you know what it, to be able to go back to school and just kind of have this to focus on allows them to really produce a lot of different connections across the university as a whole. Uh, so as a, as a student of Tsinghua University, you're able to uh, take on uh, a lot of the benefits of being in that intercultural space. Uh, so joining clubs and organizations. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our women's soccer team who is <laughs> doing really well at Chosen College. Um, and, so, and and even the arts. So we have uh, the principal bassoonists and oboists who are scholars at the program of the Tsinghua Symphony Orchestra. Uh, so it's really neat to kind of see what are the different inroads, both in sector and infinity, uh, affinity groups uh, that is happening at the college. Um, and again, it's a, it's a really amazing amazing program where they do that all within a year and then they take that to provide thrust and lift throughout their careers and and hopefully our mission as they leave the college is to keep them intellectually engaged and wanting to give back and wanting to be a part of this larger mission that will be a lifelong mission. Um, oh yeah, one thing I wanted to get back to, rewinding to the academic side, is now it's part of a requirement for the degree to take a class outside of Shorson College. So you are able to take a class at the School of Economics Management or the School of Environment because we recognize that that uh, fluidity and that adaptability, if you can in, if you can demonstrate that in the type of courses that you can choose, you can also do that in any work position that you're not operating by silo, but you're actually operating on who has the skill set to, to solve the problem. And we think that creating that um, spirit of the program where they're self-designing from top to bottom this whole journey means that one, they create value, but two, they are much more adaptable as leaders to be able to jump from you know an, an intercultural space or an intersector space that they're really uh, equipped to be able to know how to deal with that ambiguity because it, it happens whether it be language or culture or um, or sector that we think that it's really going to do a lot of great things for our scholars. Uh, yeah, no, no, that sounds that sounds interesting. I just, I mean, you're painting a picture of just something. I, my my major was business too, and, and technology is where I my focus lies, obviously, with the podcast, but uh, just. How you described like the classes starting out as a springboard, and that's just, that's just the beginning of these conversations taking place in the gym and at the pub and everywhere, and it just mm -hmm. it, it sounds like it all comes together and and the program's working. <laughs> it's, it's what it sounds like. Yeah, and, and and yeah, no, for sure, and and I can't help but grin to this idea because I know that's even. Uh, as far as the program, but as a study abroad experience, just being out of your sense of self, where you start to ask the questions of who am I by seeing through the eyes of someone who's not you. Like I can, through my lived experience, I didn't get the chance to study abroad uh, because I was so uh, into marching band during my college years. But when I had the chance to work abroad, it was just such a fascinating experience to be able to get a sense of how people understood where I was coming from, the questions that were asked of me, and how I started to be able to uh, illuminate parts of my identity and how those um, how those come to light when you're working with people who are from different cultures and different backgrounds and speak different languages it's really fantastic and I think um, it, the well, the best way to characterize the 
profile of who we're looking for is by looking at the entire uh, cohort of scholars. And that variance within each cohort is really the answer to the kind of person that we're looking for, someone who is very much self-aware and knows uh, you know, their levels of success, but then remain open to learning from others, that they're in this constant state of growing and this constant state of learning how to to, to be able to, to kind of up the way that they see the world. So um, yes, I, I think it's really exciting to see how how these different sectors are going to collaborate. And we, it's only a matter of time where we start to see inroads of how alumni start to collaborate together and and we're, and we're trying to be diligent about how do we measure whether or not this program is working when the mission is supposed to be that you know a CEO or president becomes our alumni. Well, that's still far away. But in the meantime, we're starting to see these uh, different uh, inroads where alumni are collaborating with one another. They're offering advice. They're offering uh, employment at their various spaces. But we're still just at the threshold, which I think is one of the exciting yeah, things. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, uh, using that as a segue, talking about exciting things about the program, is there anything set up or are the scholars able to branch out of the city or do they get to go anywhere else, any other countries, anywhere else throughout China? Yeah, no, absolutely. This is, uh, this is one of the things that, um, you know, the spirit of the program is uh, if you find a way to get there, you can, you can do it. And so they, they absolutely take full breadth of, um, of being able to, to, to take advantage over their of where they're based in Beijing. So, as part of the program, there's also, we provide funding for travel. And so students will arrange some of their um, travel to visit different cities in China in the same way where, you know, Washington DC or New York City and Los Angeles are versions of the United States. It's not the United States. So the best way to learn about a country is by going to all these different places. So we had some scholars travel to the ice festival in Northern China, to uh, the, you know, the Western capital um, uh, of Sichuan province. And, and those who are spicy food lovers know what I'm talking about, to be able to go to Chengdu. And so there's lots of different opportunities to be able to deep dive in, in some of these other places that are outside of Beijing. Um, some of them are program uh, coordinated, but others are not. So on top of that, some of our scholars, because they are from other parts of the world, love hosting other scholars in their home countries. Now, I had the fortunate opportunity to be along with uh, one of our scholars from India coordinated a whole group of 34 scholars in and around New Delhi, Mumbai, uh, and Pune, and was able to introduce India to uh, 34 different scholars. And I thought that was really fantastic to be able to leverage those connections and to be able to introduce uh, India and where they are with their pace and their scale um, and be able to learn what that relationship between India and China might look like in the in the next few years, and I think that's such an important relationship that I I was able to watch, you know, the, the scholars' eyes light up when they're hearing uh, what is going on in India and how China can further collaborate with them. Uh, but in short, your, to answer your question, absolutely, scholars are always traveling the world, and we'd like to think even as alumni, once they leave the program. If you love couch surfing, now you have 140 plus beds around the world that you can ah. hop to different places, and, and we're just we're just starting to see wedding yep. reunions, and we're starting to see you know what will eventually be uh, you know families that are growing and people doing really interesting things. So um, it's just very new. We're only a two two three year old toddler that's crawling around on the ground, but we're I think we're doing a pretty good job of, of, of making sure that our alumni are are, are carrying the mission of the program wherever. Yeah, I mean, I think go. that toddler might. Turn out to be a track star. It's, it, so, it sounds like. Um, 
Yeah, are, are there any crossed. stories you want to share? I, I know one of the questions we talked about this, but you mentioned the, the ice and then New Delhi. Are there any other travel stories that you want to share that you've heard or something maybe like crazy that happened or yeah yeah because i mean one of the one of the themes on the podcast <laughs> that that we've kind of uncovered is it's not a question of if something is going to go wrong it's a question of when and usually when it happens it's yeah, like yeah. at you know when it's all said and done and after you're back home or whatever you're kind of glad it happened because it's a great story and it's something that you're going to remember so yeah yeah well yeah i won't attempt to uh to share a story that um that isn't yeah. my own because I, I myself have not been a scholar. Like my story behind um, learning more about the uh, the program is that I, I first found out about Shores and Scholars as a graduate student studying in New York City. And um, unfortunately, when I read the eligibility, oh, yeah. I was already aged out. So my only option to apply for anything Shores and Scholars was a job. So I ended up going for the role where I'm recruiting for this particular uh, scholarship program. And I, I think it's it's something that I, I absolutely enjoy doing and I feel like is, is super important, especially when I think about uh, what China's role has been uh, in in the headlines and also what it's doing to transform the world. Um, yeah. So no, I, no, no, unfortunately, no. I, I think the best thing you to do with finding I those stories, of course, you can't tell it. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it, that is, is being able to enjoy it through, uh, through the scholars themselves, but we are, we are starting to pull some um, video content together. And so a lot of the, if you go to our, our website or our, even our YouTube channel, uh, you'll get a sense of what were some of the things that really heavily placed uh, an impact on on the scholars and their own journey. Um, what I will do to highlight a story um, is one of our shorts and scholars who is French actually learned a lot about um, uh, his what he he launched a recent business uh, where it's a kind of a fusion behind his the, uh, one of his business partners and he uh, really appreciate uh, watches and so then going to Shenzhen and Hong Kong and learning more about uh, the art form and, and through the uh, influence of language and the culture, then birthed a, um, a venture where they want to introduce uh, China's story behind something that is like disarming as fashion. And so uh, the launch of his own product line was kind of inspired uh, by a little bit of the journey and the connections that he's made. Uh, and so I think that's really exciting when you start to see how art and uh, business start to come together to advance the mission and the spirit of the program. And we're just going to start to see more inroads of how we see a lot more intersector uh, exploration and ventures that are launched by collaborators who might've met at Schwarzman or who might've been in a class that came after them because we're doing a lot of work to, to kind of swirl these uh, these intergenerational cohorts of Shores and Scholars. But I think it's it's still a work in progress that, um, you know, as a, as a young 20 something year old graduate of this program, you know, a lot of our scholars are pushing through, uh, you know, early stages of their careers with the idea of wanting to go towards nonprofit and politics and business and government leadership spaces. But um, it's something that I think uh, you have to get those stories uh, firsthand from the yeah, scholars. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. Um, it, yeah, but that's that's the best part about it is the stories. And I mean, eventually the biggest story is going to be the success. And we we're talking about the track star that the things this thing's going to become. So um, <laughs> really, I mean, like changing the world kind of stuff is, is what we're talking about. Um, and now you mentioned you mentioned Sichuan and the spices. What about is is there is there a food <laughs> Chinese food is so good. But like, what food specifically are these scholars talking about when they're coming home? Yeah, I would say, hmm, 
when I when I get a sense of what student scholars return by, it's it's the it's the I always say the magic of the mundane. It's like uh, it's the street food that actually is what they miss. Uh, there's there's there from like um, dumplings to uh, you know less than a dollar bowls of noodles to this this pancake uh, street food called Tian Bing that you know the scholars really light up about it, which of course is um, you know it, it strikes up a lot of memory and things are really tasty. But then also the the quips and the jokes were like, oh yeah, but he wouldn't take cash. He I had to scan a, a barcode to be able to pay for it. I think those are the kinds of stories that are really um, exciting to be able to um, uh, to refer to to think about how forward thinking China has been in integrating what is a street vendor uh, to using giving tools to have this person be able to take their business uh, so that they're able to cater to their customers you know, in their neighborhood communities. So I think that's one thing that I remember some of the scholars really kind of uh, alluding to what are the things that I miss is like, yeah, I miss the, the gen being that I was able to grab on the street corner on the way to my practical training project. And, and that's, the, that's the memory that he, without, uh, without fail, would always see that man there. And that's one thing that he appreciated about China is that everyone knew what their role was and that they were able to, to kind of show up and be the best Jen being maker that he can be, and I only I also refer to that memory in my own lived experience that you know you, you start to get a cadence because you know with over with millions and uh, millions of people that you know people start to find what their role is and then they show up to be really good at that. Um, the image that I have in my head are people who uh, are able to like I remember watching outside I was having coffee outside of a one of the many skyscrapers in Shanghai. And then watching these window washers just kind of dance and have fun, you know, in, in the way that they were able to do it, that they were able to show up to their own uh, roles. Uh, but at the same time, you know, China is growing at a fantastic rate and it, it's something that uh, there's so much yeah, vibrancy yeah, out like there. A, I mean, yeah, it, it sounds really good. You said pancake street food, like they're making pancakes on the street. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of like a, uh, it's a scallion pancake. So there's a, a I, I don't know what all the ingredients that go into it, but J-I-A-N-B-I-N-G, Jianbing is a, is a favorite. And I started to see it in some of the uh, fancy food halls here in New York City. So if only they knew what the cost of one of those was in uh, right. on the streets no, no, of no. Beijing, you know, it would, it would be, seem like a crime to have to I, pay yeah, for that's, it I mean, here. You're, you're out in New York and I mean, that's a step up above a hot dog as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, okay. So, so now, so we've got, so there's the program. That's it. Uh, not that's it, but like there's, so so <laughs> yeah. they've done this they're doing it right and then they come home let me ask you so you said it's a master's program is is that are they slotted to go a specific time throughout their master's degree or can they go at any time or is it yeah yeah, yeah. sure so so we 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 have to connect it back to the admissions process um we ask students to apply the year that they're ready to start and so um they would get admitted and then uh, start the next subsequent August. Um, a small detail that I mentioned earlier in the in the eligibility framework is that our scholars will be coming from uh, a range of ages, from 18 to 28. So when you're thinking about when makes most sense to apply, it's really a question of when does your leadership look most impressive. So we have half of our class that comes directly out of their bachelor's program, and then the other half of the class that comes between one and six years of work experience. And so they might have a different narrative as to why China makes most sense in their in their portfolio because it's something that they've engaged with newly at work or that they see it en route to another area or another um, 
uh, direction in their lives. And so the, in some cases, we might be another master's program. We also have students with previous graduate degrees that come to us. Um, we have a PhD chemist in the class. We have an MBA holder. But then we also have students who graduate from the program and then go to law school, business school, medical school, because now they recognize you know, this new one year in China is going to shape the kind of doctor or engineer or politician that they want to be later on in life. So the question of when makes most to apply um, is going to be a personal decision, but then you have to make the case through the application on why why this program and why now. And so that's something that will be very different. You know, those who came with other graduate degree programs recognize that knowing more about China is going to be central to their efficacy and their roles. So again, they made the case as to even though I have a graduate level degree prior, this is why China and this is why now. Uh, as far as the support of alumni after the program, we have a fantastic career development team who's going to support our scholars through life. And so being able to have access to resources, job postings, um, professional development opportunities is something that they are building out in terms of a, a structure of support on you know, resume review, thinking about transitions between different sectors, um, that we have a really fantastic team that is both based in Beijing and New York to help elevate what our alumni are doing as um, after the program, but also um, in practice of the program, they're, they're going to prepare them for being able to carve their careers out um, as a result of this master's program and whatever things that they learn from this. Um, so that's a little bit about what our strategy is and about what they're doing. We have some scholars who are working right away, who continue on their education in other graduate or or even Mandarin study programs, but then even their own like their own individual endeavors, whether they come from uh, needing to satisfy a military service requirement or professional writing or writing for office. Um, these are all very initial data points. In the grand scheme of life, our sample size is two. We only have two classes of graduates, and so it can it will it can and it will vastly change over the next few years about where the scholars are going. I can already say for 2018 we see a bend towards environment and technology because China's doing a lot of great work there, but also that's a huge need now in terms of solving some of the Well, yeah, I mean, they've got to do work with the environment, right? With all the, yeah, like, I've seen yeah. pictures of the, the smoke there. So, yeah, yeah so, I mean, that's mm -hmm. probably, they'll come up with solutions, hopefully, for the rest of the world because they're forced to be. Mm -hmm. Necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. um, so, mm -hmm. okay, so... Great. So they're obviously flourishing when they're coming back. And, and another another point I want to make too is you said maybe it'll influence what kind of like what kind of doctor, lawyer, or businessman you'll be. But it it sounds like too that it might make you transition your career even or, or help you that way. So yeah, do yeah. Um, all right. So yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm excited too now. Uh, I I guess so. I mean, now to the to the last part. Uh, do you have just a rapid fire portion of the podcast? Do you have any uh, recommendation, like a book recommendation you want to give? Sure. Um, so I, and this is not necessarily uh, travel related, but um, I, I would say that one, one of the books that I, I would recommend um, people to read is Creativity Inc. It's, it's uh, by uh, the author's name, Ed Catmull, and he was one of the founders of Pixar. And it actually, does a really fantastic job of just kind of understanding dynamics and, and how to swirl cultures and, and does it in a very disarming way. So I really enjoyed listening in on his uh, distillation of what are some of the lessons that he learned with working across different sectors and across different industries. And also what are the drivers to coming up with good ideas and the communication structures that support that. So uh, that is one of the recommendations that I would say.
another recent read that I had was Becoming by uh, Michelle Obama. I think it's a, a really authentic telling of, a, of, of being able to work through some of these uh, um, ways of getting to know oneself. And I think, I, I can't remember the direct quote, but she says the process of becoming is the belief that you'll continue to grow. And like even asking silly questions to children, like what do you want to be with when you grow up in, in as a way of saying, as if um, growing up is a finite thing, right? So that it, it is this process of excavating and reflecting and thinking about what do I value the most and what, what do I feel energized to show up to um, and how do I commit my energies and talents in that particular direction? Um, that's another good one to, to recommend. And then <laughs> I'm chock full of reading. I, I've been most recently um, <laughs> just going down this trail. And I will say that my favorite medium is actually uh, audiobooks because it's not me running the voice of the author through my own filters, which I do if I'm reading a book statically, but then hearing their voice and hearing the inflection and hearing where they quiver and where they exasperate, I think adds so much depth to, to that storytelling that it's actually way more um, impactful in my, my eyes. And that's why I always turn to uh, to books where I, I'm listening to someone else because I think it's for me it's like having a conversation and I and I totally buy into someone else's ideas than sometimes rather my own. Um, two other books that I recommend: Brene Brown, Dare to Lead. Uh, it's a fantastic book with thinking about empathy, uh, thinking various frameworks on how to um, how to be uh, more confident in in making decisions, but also the reality that we can be strong and brave at the same time and, and recognizing that as our truth. Um, and then Abundance Now by Lisa Nichols is such an uplifting read that she, just like listening to her talk about her lived experience, uh, makes you feel like you can go out and change the world and, and not just believe, but also you start to do it in your own way. And she really uh, provides a lot of different inspiring uh, quips and exercises that help you kind of get out of your own self because uh, you know the world is a tough place where we constantly are told that we don't have enough money don't have enough time don't have enough energy and I think her take was just absolutely refreshing so those are just a couple that I've just recently finished on my on my list of uh, Wait, you said you fit, were the, did, were, are they were at all audio did you listen to them all these these are all okay. audio, and so they you do have to do it sets of time, but it, you know, that's when okay. I feel like a bit of net time for you there. Um, any uh, what about any any abroad program or media recommendations you want to give, like an app, a blog, a podcast, a website, things like that? Yeah, I think, um, as far as where to get information, I mean, there's there's I mean, first of all, thank you for doing this for your listeners, because I think just being able to have a platform where people can compare and contrast different ideas is great. Um, I work in the foundation space, so I know there's a lot of other opportunities out there, and when possible, to have someone else pay for it is always great. Um, so if you're a young, uh, soon-to-be graduate, or even a, even younger, think about putting your energy behind things like Fulbright, things like uh, the Marshall or the Truman, because there, there are opportunities in the process of applying to the program uh, or, or whatever respective program, you start to distill and start to grapple with these questions where you're thinking about what, what is important to me and, and why do I show up? It's in summary, you're thinking the what, how, and why. What is it that I'm doing? How do I prove it and become that? And then why is that ultimately important? That you want to just kind of go through what 
you know, lights up your own brain. And there, in terms of podcasts, I really enjoy these uh, TED Talk compilations because they give you a lot of insightful quotes and, and snippets of things that if you want to dig in deeper, then you can go to that. Um, and so I really enjoyed being able to kind of get into that uncomfortable space of just seeing perspectives that are, are all really different from my own, especially given uh, a lot of the conversation about, um, uh, you know, about uh, about uh, visibility and representation, just trying to think about what can I do to learn about perspectives that are not um, my own and, and doing small changes like recognizing, uh, you know, <laughs> talking to a stranger in an elevator. How many times have we are able to do that now in like contemporary days where people just keep their head down to their phone, but saying, how's your day going? Or just kind of saying, hey, I see you kind of thing. Um, so that, that's what I would say is just kind of a blend of all those different uh, you know, things, do things that, you know, elevate you. Uh, but then also when you can have conversations with people who are not you to shine light onto what you might not be seeing. So having a good mix of mentors in your life is another way, place where you can kind of yeah, have your no, no, no. stuff. Sure. Uh, thank, yeah, and thank you for the other orgs. One, Just a quick question too. If you were to apply to Schwarzman and you didn't get it, are, are you able to reapply at a later for a later time? Uh, yeah, so um, we don't currently have any uh, policy in place that prevents you from reapplying. And we actually historically have had students who, uh, after the first time and, and not being selected, return to the program with a rekindled vision, a rekindled drive to actually um, speak to the things that were really important. And I can think of successful cases where you know, not getting it the first time doesn't undo your leadership, but it does call into question, like, how did I share it? And so for some of those who were successful in a later round, it's because they cut out things that were unnecessary. I think one of the biggest challenges or, or uh, pitfalls that I see is that students try to cram everything about who they are into an application, but just recognize that it's impossible to distill your entire arc of life into a truncated application. So that being said, write down a list of 15 things that you want to make sure are communicated and then slice off the top three and then build your profile around that. Uh, because it really is about being able to elevate and, and that's not to disempower how each of those other 15 things on the list have been stepping stones to get to where you are, but then being able to answer to what am I all about? What am I showing up for is, is really kind of the name of the game and being able to balance what your vision is to, to your daily achievement is the way to go. So if you are unlucky in the first time of not being able to get selected, that's not saying you know, you're a failure. It's not saying that you weren't right in, in applying to this program, but it's saying it's, it's hopefully an invitation to think about what is it that I was doing and how can I kind of rethink to put my best foot forward um, in a later application. But as you know, we've only been around for a, a, just a number of years, so we haven't had that much data on reapplicants to the program. Uh, but my hope is in this uh, current iteration and future iterations, we start to correct, provide more clarity about what, what are some of the, these things you want to be mindful of if you are applying, what has changed in your application, um, you know, how are you able to uh, simply tell your story. Um, for example, that's the great Albert Einstein's quote where if you can't tell your story simply, then you don't understand it enough. And so that 100-word bio, if, it, if you're finding struggles in being able to highlight what's important and what's what you're all about, then you need to do more reflection on what's actually important to you. So I think um, that would be my advice to those who are thinking about reapplying. Like, you do have that opportunity, but make sure that if you're going to take a shot of it, don't do it just because you want to see what happens, but really prepare yourself and put your best foot forward and apply when you're ready. And that can look different as a graduating senior or someone who's worked 
two to three years of work experience. But your application should obviously be different uh, from yeah, each iteration. Yeah, that's great advice, Christian. Just to, I mean, just to people like the number one reason, I don't know if you watched my little video, but it's the number one reason students don't study abroad is cost. And the, there's a fallacy that mm -hmm. there's so many options available. And I'd say 90% of the people that I interview on the show receive some kind of aid in some way, shape or form. What's, whether it's something mm -hmm. like Schwarzman or otherwise. So, yeah, thank you for that insight. Uh, yeah, and I, and I, and I, I, there are resources out there that you have to go find them. And, and I think that's, that's uh, you know, there are those that are supporting um, this idea of, of access to study abroad. So there are a lot of great resources uh, that you can take a look at on the website. Uh, a shout out to Diversity Abroad, which is um, a hub, a nonprofit geared towards diversifying what the landscape of study abroad looks like. So um, do you know that there are campus partners and, and everyone who is, uh, most colleges, uh, if you're studying at an institution in the United States will have a support office, whether it be the Honors College or a fellowships office that would have access to information about these kinds of things. So um, again, if you uh, can conceptualize what you're looking for, then definitely do it. Um, a, a quote from the, the Lisa Nichols book is, uh, you know, set a goal that is so big that in the process of trying to achieve that, you're going to be a person worth becoming. And so when you're thinking about what is after being a doctor, engineer, or lawyer, and wanting to be the leader of an organization or training a, an army of doctors, then even just by getting closer to that goal, then you will accomplish a lot. Yeah, of yeah, I love it. It's, so kind, of, it's kind of like the <laughs> shoot for the stars, and if you fall short, you'll at least get the moon kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, but if your brain is the first to disempower <laughs> that and think, ah, oh, that's only for you know, optimists or whatever, then you are yeah. self-imposing that same thing. So absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, Christian, <laughs> thank you very much. I know we went over, but it, I think it was worth every second. Um, you know, I, I, if, if our listeners have made it this far, I thank you so much for listening. Uh, you know, if you if you are looking to to reach out and get contact, you can connect with the admissions office. Our contact information is available on our website, and I would be more than delighted to to talk with any of your listeners who would like to know more about the program and also how to set themselves up for success. But uh, thanks to you, Chris, for having me here on the show and sharing uh, my story yeah. as well. No, 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 great. I yeah, I, I, yeah. Like I said, it was worth every second just from start to finish. And yeah, hopefully, you know what? If someone does make it this far to the end they're probably going to be the one that receives the uh the award right because they're, they're getting all the little tips so <laughs> but no. it won't it's no guarantee if you say <laughs> yeah, that yeah. in your application yeah. so <laughs> uh all right well yeah thank you very all much right. and we'll talk to you again soon christian hey guys i hope you enjoyed the show be sure to check out all the really neat infographics on the rest of the posts as well as the interviews there's a lot of good information you should also download Studying Abroad 201. I really recommend it if you need kind of a fire lit under your ass for studying abroad and you need some motivation. It crafts my journey and exactly what I did. Also, you, we can email you new interviews or you can connect with us on social media. All right, thanks a lot.